it'll be a dude enjoying his life. The, the most recent one was like a dude was like enjoying my birthday dinner. And it was, he took a picture of like crab legs and like corn or whatever. And someone replied and was like, <laughs> seafood is for women, but happy birthday. Okay, here's what I've been thinking about. So, the other day, you know, one of my lefty friends was basically like, why is it... So, like, basically, to to give some context, on my wall, I have all of these, like, post-its that I'm making this kind of map of all of the people that I'm reading... And, like, the ideas, like, their their thesis idea, basically, of, like, whatever their, their book is or their podcast or whatever. And kind of mapping it out so that, like, because a lot of them are in conversation with each other, right? Like, for example, you know, I listen to the Ezra Klein show. And so, like, Ezra Klein is a big hub because he has a bunch of, like, intellectual people on his show who've written books and stuff like that. Um, and then, like, you know, he had Yuval Noah Harari on his show. Obviously, I love Yuval Noah Harari. And, like, Andrew Yang also, like, really likes to cite Yuval Noah Harari and his stuff about AI, blah, 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 uh-huh. right? So, like, my my main kind of, like, books that I've been reading and podcasts I've been listening to have been vaguely in the areas of, like, like the future of work kind of stuff and mm-hmm. kind of, like, entrepreneurial shit around, like, like, you know, like Grit by Angela Duckworth. I feel like a lot of people have bandied around that book in recent years. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And like, I, f- I feel like I've heard of it, but I don't know the the premise of it. But The premise is just that, um, of grit, is that people will say that they value hard work, but when you look at, you know, actual studies of people, you know, whether it be having somebody come in for an audition or doing job interviews, whatever, 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 right? They would do studies where they're like, okay, they would tell the committee that's like the hiring committee or something that this person, you know, is just like a really hard worker, blah, blah, blah. And they would tell, you know, they would give the exact same profile as for another person and say, this person has a lot of natural talent. They're just a natural. They're so good at what they do, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And even people who self-describe as valuing hard work still go with the person who is described as naturally talented more often, right? Even if all, all, the, all other factors <laughs> be equal, right? Right. Um, and basically her argument is that this is like a fallacy that we have basically because if you actually look at metrics, so for example, one of the biggest examples in her book is she went and did a lot of research at West Point, right? Looking at the kind of cadets who come in. I don't know if that's what they're called, but like the people who come in and they do all kinds of like tests you know, before they come to West Point of like their intelligence, their hardworkingness, their obedience, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. To see what makes a good soldier, right? One of the tests is you just have to be able to run really on like the highest setting on a treadmill for like five minutes, you know? Uh-huh. Um, that's like one of her grit indicators is like, are they, will- are they able to do that? Because like being able to run really hard for five minutes is not necessarily an indicator of your physical like like strength or like you know your your speed yeah. or anything it's literally just like are how how much are you willing to push yourself it's not even that long right yeah um and so and a lot of people just give up right and 
basically her whole point is that the number one determinant of what makes you kind of survive West Point and like succeed is grit, right? As opposed to whether you're intelligent, as opposed to whether you are considered a natural, like physical specimen, like you're really strong or you're really big or whatever, right? It's, It's none of those things. It's just literally your commitment to sticking with something, right? Uh-huh. And she has this idea in her book, and I've also been reading this book um, called So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, who also has this book called Deep Work that I haven't read yet, but I've been planning to work to read. But a lot of people, like Ezra Klein has like been on, on this book a lot. And basically it's this notion of having deliberate practice, right? And me- deliberate practice meaning the thing that determines whether you succeed. So you know, have you ever heard of like Malcolm Gladwell's notion of like the 10,000 hour rule? Yes. Yeah. So they basically take it a step further and being like, okay, you could have multiple people who devote tons of time to something like the 10,000 hours. Right. And you'll still see obviously variations in how good they are. Right. Yeah. And it's like, then it's looking at, it's a function of what are they doing for those 10,000 hours? Like, are they doing something that's actually going to push themselves or are they just like kind of doing it and like they get good at it and they just keep doing the thing they're good at, you know? Um, Yeah. Like, apparently chess, like, you know how there was this whole thing where Google was trying to, like, it was a huge deal that, like, Google was able to create an AI that beat Gary Kasparov or whatever the biggest chess player in the world, right? Yeah. Um, They had a lot of, like, kind of contention within chess, whether the best way to practice chess is by doing a lot of tournaments versus by literally, like, doing book work of, like, studying the different moves and stuff like that. And what they found was that the bookwork is actually more challenging and like produces way better results, even though it's not really like as intense, right? You're just reading, yeah. you know what I mean? You're just like memorizing moves and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you're just studying moves and patterns and things like that. Yeah, exactly. But I guess the point is that that's more challenging because you're more likely to encounter a scenario you've never encountered before than you are in a tournament, right? Whereas most people are, especially if you're the best, are gonna be worse than you, right? So it's not gonna be that challenging. Mm-hmm. So, um, so basically the point is that deliberate practice is like kind of just, uh, you know, you can run every day, but if you are not actively setting a goal for yourself and timing yourself and being like, okay, how long is it taking me to run a mile today? And how can I push myself to like bring my time down X amount? Right. That's what deliberate practice is all about. Right. Yeah. So you can like enjoy doing something and like play guitar or play chess or whatever it is that you do. And do it for literally tons and tons of hours in your life, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're really, like, going to become the best of the best unless you're doing this deliberate practice, is their point. Yeah. You know? I agree with that. And so, anyway, that's what I've been reading about, but the conversation I was having was actually this, like, meta conversation around, like, why so many of the people on my wall are men, right? And I mean, obviously, mm. a lot of the time I just read whoever gets recommended by the people I'm already reading. And they are this kind of like whatever, like liberal intelligista kind of brain trust type of people. So like there are probably just reading other men. Right. But I do think that even if you look at like if you do a deliberate, you make a deliberate effort to like try to read about these topics like in books that are written by women, there just literally are not as many women doing it. And, like, 
I guess then the question is, so I, so after some, you know, after this person brought this up with me, I was like, huh, like, is it literally just that like, the, like these people are all just these men writing books for other men and it's just this like, you know, insular thing. So I looked it up and what I discovered is actually that the majority of readers of books are women, right? Yeah. And in fact, most of the academic community is women. Like majority of people who go to college now are women. Overwhelmingly, actually, like if we didn't do kind of this like affirmative action for guys, like to try to even out the gender parity of college campuses, there would be even more women, right? Yeah. There was some crazy statistic that was like, I think like 80% of valedictorians in the US are women. <laughs> Isn't that wild? That's wild. And it's the, not it's not surprising, but it's wild. Well, the hypothesis for why that is is because basically we culturally have stigmatized like doing well in school as like a, not a male thing to do, as like kind of a, a bookish like feminine thing to do, you know? Which I kind of I can see that, you know? Has it I wonder how long it's been this way? Like, has it always been this way? Has education always been? I mean, no, I don't education think so. has not always been. I mean, been obviously, a, a there's dominated. been literally, like, in recent history. Like, my yeah. aunt was the first woman in her class at Andover, and she, it was terrible. Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> like never time. good, right, to, to be in that first class. But, like, that, I mean, literally, like, she's not even that much older than my dad, you know? Yeah. So, it's very recent, actually, I think. Yeah. So, what, I wonder where the shift comes from then, you know? Like, when did... Because education used to be perceived, at, you know, in, in recent history as a, like, a male privilege, like a man, a man thing that you get to do. And women are just supposed what? to, like, be at home. And even, like, when my mom was in Wellesley in, like, the 90s, they still called it, like, an MRS degree. You know what I'm talking about? What, no. Do, an MRS meaning like you're just going to college so that you can meet men and get married and like not actually have a job. Oh, uh, like you know misses? I mean? Yeah, like misses. Got it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you're literally just going to college so you can find a yeah, yeah, yeah. suitable bachelor. Yeah, right? actually, I heard I heard that echoed by um, my partner's grandmother also said that she was like in college mostly to find a husband. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah, like what is, what is the switch then? You know, like when when did it become quote unquote not manly to like achieve in school? Yeah, and it's also just weird because it's it's in parallel with this general shift of like, you know, in, if you think about this kind of like larger feminism conversation, I think all of the trends at play in our economic system right now are moving towards a deprioritization of the jobs that we typically code as male, right? And a higher uh -huh. prioritization of the jobs that we typically code as female because those are gonna be less automatable, right? The, you know, I just literally read this Andrew Yang book where you right here, he, his whole shtick is the truck drivers are gonna be, you know, out of work in the next yeah, four business, to five years, sure. right? It's the truck drivers and then it's like the retail workers, which is, you know, not necessarily, that's like both men and women. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily a, super strictly gender coded. A lot of coded. like the manual labor. Manual labor, absolutely, right? Um, and it's just like, what are these people gonna do? And a lot of like the work that 
I mean, I obviously we've, we've had doulas on this show and stuff like that. Like so much of the work that is kind of like coded as female is only there's so much demand, right? There's so much demand for nurses. There's so much demand for, you know, teachers. Obviously, it varies a lot by your region and like that kind of thing. And obviously, it's more in demand in places that really, really, really need them compared to like an urban center. But those jobs are growing, you know? Yeah. Being a being a what is it like a, a home health aide is is gonna is like the biggest is gonna have the most openings like in the next couple of years you know yeah that's not no, a male coded like, job yeah and it's extremely not automatable no yeah you can't really make a robot to take care of old people very well also that would just suck <laughs> i don't even know even if you could if they would want that right yeah right yeah it would it seems like it'd be a bad fit <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah so we have so what are so what the fuck are men doing? What are, That's like, the thing, are, right? Is it are we are we on a lag? Right? It's like like it seems like it's a fairly recent thing that you know like the education scales are shifting to be more women dominated. Like are we just gonna are we like have we yet to see that develop in you know in the marketplace? Because I do think we we hear a lot about like you know like the wage gap and like men having more positions of power and things like that. Um, so is it like, is it that women are investing more and more or like investing more in their education and their schooling and just like still getting fucked by the glass ceiling? Or is it that like, we're just kind of on a lag and we're going to see this play out in the job market in a couple of years. I think, I think it's both. I think we are on a lag and you know, like all of these these people who are yelling at these tech companies be like, oh, hire more women, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, there's no women. It's a pipeline problem. Like, I think we're very quickly, like, you know, solving that pipeline problem, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially because there is just and I think this is definitely one of the even though I hate on social media so much, one of the positives of social media is that it is something that we're ha- that we have as part of our kind of national dialogue at least among young people that we didn't have before i do feel like gen z like you know is on tiktok talking about shit like the wage gap and stuff like that right and being like no you can do math and be a woman blah 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 you know yeah definitely didn't have that when i was growing up no and like yeah honestly i have a lot of hope for the next generation from literally what i've just seen on tiktok you know (laughs) So how does that um how does all this kind of tie into what you were talking about about like grit and stuff or like all this was that because these things were written by men? Well, okay. And like Yeah, like the thing that's really interesting to me is that and this isn't something that I have like a firm like oh this is what I think the answer is about, but I when I was a tech change, I had to do this course called the business case for like gender inclusion or something, right? Um, or yeah. like women in business, right? And it was just, it was, I think it was being created for like, I don't know, some development organization like the World Bank or something. Um, and they were trying to use this course to primarily like use in developing countries to, especially cause like a lot of developing countries have way worse gender equity and equality issues than we do in the US, yeah. right? And it's like, and it's like you need women to participate in your economy. Yeah. Um, and their whole point that they were trying to make was like, okay, businesses, especially like startups that are making these new jobs in all these different countries, 
you should employ more women, right? Because it was basically just trying to make this normative argument to get them to try to employ more women. And one of their arguments was the reason you should employ more women is because women have so much of the buying power in almost every market, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. even if you, even for, for products that are marketed towards men, if you actually look at who's buying them, they're mostly women, right? Because women just do the shopping, basically, right? Yeah, and they have, like, they often are the ones that take control of, like, yeah, the purchasing for the home. Right. So their argument is that, look, because women have all this consumer power, in order to cater to those consumers, you need to have women on your boards. You need to have women, you know, making big decisions within your company. That's their That was their argument they are trying to make, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why I find that interesting now thinking about like, you know, who's writing books and who's reading books, right, is that in my mind, and maybe I just don't know enough about publishing, like the, the sh- like who ends up getting published is relatively like, yes, there's there's gatekeepers in the form of publishing houses, but I would assume that the publishing houses kind of respond to demand, right? Like they're, they're doing some kind of looking at metrics and seeing what people are interested in reading to choose who they're going to publish, right? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I'm sure this is also a shifting thing, but like, I don't know if I've ever remembered a time where like, like reading a book was like, I feel like it's always been kind of gendered towards women, like reading you do. in general. Yeah, the act of reading. The act of reading. But I guess my question is... Well, definitely is, not. Definitely not. I mean, definitely not always, right? Like, sure. we know that's not true. But like... No, no, no. We like know it is lifetime. true. Statistically, it is more often like the people who read are women. But like even like in the old days where, you know, it was like we weren't really trying to educate women. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Like obviously you have to be literate <laughs> baseline to be able to be reading books. Right, right. Um, But... Like, what's weird is that, like, and I I wonder if this is also true for movies, because I haven't looked at the statistics of who watches movies, right? But you would think that if it is true that, like, the vast majority of of the people who read books are women, and we believe that there's some correlation between, like, you know, women are more likely to want to read a book by a woman, that there would be mostly women writers as well. And it would, and the demand would be for women writers but if you look at a who publishes books and b like just baseline and then b who publishes books that end up on like the new york times bestseller list there's only one year in the last like 50 years where it was even 50 50 which was 2001 on Uh the new york times bestseller list otherwise it's like just super predominantly you know men yeah i found a um i really just googled real quick like movies movie demographics yeah and um it's this site called societypages.org. I, you know, I, it, apparently this data comes from the Motion Picture Association of America. Um, and this is movie, you know, obviously this is moviegoers and tickets sold, so we're not even talking about streaming, right? Which has probably changed the game completely. Um, but, in, and this is also, I believe in 2011, but it was, it, it says that 55% of tickets are sold to women Fifty-two percent of moviegoers are women, and fifty-one percent of the of like the general population is women. Are women in two thousand eleven? So. So it seems pretty equal. It seems. Yeah, like I mean, it, like sli- slightly skewed towards. 
yeah, slightly skewed towards women, which, but, like, I think that could probably be um, accounted for by, like, we know that women do purchasing for households. So, you know, like, the women are buying tickets for their family. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, that's true. That makes sense. Um. Um, yeah, so, yeah, the, that that gap is really interesting. Like, why are so many authors still men and so many authors of these books that, like, are pretty inspirational especially the kind of books that you read, still men. Well, I mean, the same seemingly would also go for movies, right? Because, you know, if if half the population's women, we still don't see half of the movies having female leads, right? Mm-hmm. Or even, like, but, passing the Bechdel test or whatever. Yeah. But isn't this just, like... Isn't this just, like, kind of explained away by... Um, men being afforded more opportunities to do so, and like women just consuming what's available, and like if most of the, if most of the movies are made by men, and most of the books are written by men, and then like, did women ever have a choice? Yeah, I guess the question is like you know kind of how much is this argument that they were trying to make in this course like actually have any weight to it? Like how much power does do consumers really have? Right? Is it truly mm-hmm. the case that if you have more women on your board? you're going to somehow be able to create products that are going to cater better to women and like kind of outcompete other people. You know what I mean? Uh, I see what you're saying now. So like it seems like what you what this course that you all are making maybe isn't actually true. Like Yeah, I mean I don't know. If- That's the thing is maybe if we lived in a true meritocracy, right? And we just started from zero and we didn't have any kind of like institutional like oh it's all the same old boys club in hollywood and the same old boys club in academia and like you know we just had started from scratch right now today right uh-huh do you think it would be the case that it would actually reflect kind of the consumers um demographics you know yeah i think in that case probably why i think it would because, I mean, well, it's hard to imagine, right? A, like, a pure meritocracy yeah. <laughs> without any um, without any kind of, like, interveners or externalities in, um, involved. But right. um, then, I mean, in a pure meritocracy, it must be, I feel, like, it, it has to be even. Unless, unless we think that there are some inherent differences in the sexes, right? Mm-hmm. Like... Um, if you do think that, then, you know, then it would make sense that you don't think that, like, you know, the the representation would be even. Well, this goes back to, it wouldn't even have to necessarily be biological. Like, mm-hmm. we could take out the power structures of Hollywood and, like, you know, the people who have had all the power or having all the power, right? But, like, you know, we could keep, in this hypothetical example, we would be keeping all the way that people are socialized. You know? Oh, keeping the way people are socialized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, no. I don't think that things are changing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... Cause, I feel like, like the socialization is a, is a direct result, or is, like, you know, is the thing that keeps these cogs running, and it's, like, a vicious cycle, right? Because, like, the socialization, like, creates what we consume, and then we're influenced by what we consume, and, and it continues to, like... It then continues to socialize people. Yeah. Because, like, I do wonder, right, why you know, there aren't more women who are writing about, you know, entrepreneurship and tech. And obviously, right, it's like you have a system where there's less 
women who are getting venture capital and you know less women who are getting hired by these like you know very biased hiring structures blah 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 right yeah um but i also do wonder whether you know even absent those factors maybe women are literally just not as interested in these topics it's just like coming up with what are our goals as a society right because maybe yeah. this is like super I feel like often liberal people think that I'm very callous for saying this, right? But I do definitely think that we shouldn't just like default to one standard or the other, either like the, the hyper-masculine, like, ah, uh, you know, like ego-driven, yeah. whatever, but- Like either we're pushing, we're flooding, like either we're trying to flood the, the you know, the, the market with women in STEM or we're not. Yeah. Right? Like the the friend yeah exactly right like the friend that I was talking to was like oh well you know I think the onus should be on men to just like legitimize the things that women are interested in and read more women themselves right and I don't know I think that you can always like that's nice to think but you can't like you have no control over what other people do especially the demographic and power right yeah I mean I feel like that's a similar kind of. I think I think similar to what you said, it's a good idea, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be nice, but it's a similar situation to like, like the onus shouldn't be on black people or people of color to try and you know alleviate racism. But, yeah, but like it is going to be because who else is gonna going to be? Right? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be. I mean, like white people, white people are helping, but it will always be POC leading the charge because like yeah. it will always be our cause. And also, it's like, I don't think it would be right for that not to be the case, because if it was all white people deciding, okay, we're going to have, you know, more racial equality, this is what we're going to do, obviously, they'd be fucked. That's just still white people determining everything, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. so, like, yeah. you have to, you can't, you have to be an agent in your own, like, trajectory towards this ideal state of equity and equality, right? Yeah. And in that way, and in that way, I'm not even sure if I agree with the notion that, like, you know, the oppressors should be the ones fighting for the rights of the oppressed, like, like exclusively or whatever, you know, like, like should be like the main ones. I feel like it should be that, and maybe this is the narrative and we're just oversimplifying it, but the narrative should be like, those oppressed should be like, you know, using their power to like empower those who are not to lead the fight mm-hmm. or whatever. And like stepping back. I mean, being an ally um, is super fucking hard because it does, I think often feel like, there's no right thing to do, you know? Yeah, and I think and I think it's because there probably isn't, right? Like, what, you know, it's, it's just, like, complicated issues have complex solutions. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it might be best for, like, you know, for men to, like, try and, like, create a path and, like, push women into STEM. And in some cases, it might be, like, right for men to step back and be like, we should just like give women the same opportunities and see what they choose, you know? But here's the thing. What does stepping back mean, right? If you, for example, want to go and get a PhD in math or something, right? Or computer science, whatever it is, right? And you're a man. Like, should you then not go get that PhD? Because, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, what What does that even look like, right? So what does stepping back actually mean? Like, should the person not get their PhD in computer science? I don't know. I mean, well, probably that doesn't feel right. I mean, here's another you know? example, right? 
So, like, she was talking about how, like, in the organizing space in D.C., a lot of the people who are organizers of various, like, events are women, right? It's, like, almost exclusively women, it would seem, with, like, a few men, right? And they are, you know, often organizing panels and events for people to speak, right? Because that's, like, almost the point, right, (laughs) is having, you know, a public presence. And so often those panels and those speakers are like all men. None of them are women, right? And my question then is, if it's being organized by a woman and the woman has the say in who gets to be on this panel, why aren't they putting women there, right? Why are you having all these men be the public face of your movement, right? When it's really the women who are doing the work, right? Yeah. I think it's like, I think the answer to that question is has many is manifold. I think I've also seen this phenomenon, like, you know, like this is these are adjacent issues, but like in the nonprofit world, it's like aggressively dominated by women. Yet so many of the panels I've been to also have been mostly male, right? Like um of these higher ups from different nonprofits. And I think it's like you know, I think it maybe it, the issue is that these movements often like attach themselves to organizations or to like people with power and like to get to where they to get to the point where they could put on a successful panel they had to like hitch their wagon to a dude you know and um and who like you know even if he's like a perfectly fine guy or perfect like or an actual expert in the field or whatever undeniably a part of the reason why he was able to climb so high in the nonprofit world, which is so aggressively dominated by women, was just because he was a dude, you know? I feel like men, I feel like I know a lot of men that, like, have kind of, like, bought themselves into the nonprofit world. Like, I've met a couple of, like, EDs or, like, big names in, um, in my years, like, working in nonprofits of, like, that were people that were just, like, yeah, I, like, learned about the cause as an adult and, like, decided to put my money towards it and now I'm sitting on a board or something like that, you know? And, like, it's, like, these power structures all feed into one another. Um, and it's hard to... And then, like, by the time that you, you get to the point where you're doing a panel, you are, like, there's, you're, you feel indebted to people, you know, that helped you get to places or maybe, like, you know, you, like, maybe like bureaucracy and politics like you want to you want to pay like you want to you want to make someone happy that might like maybe a big funder or something like that you know and like it's like it's no longer just about the work um even though the people that are on the on the ground actually doing the work are like primarily women yeah especially because like i one argument that i hear He's like, oh, well, women, you know, it's not as easy to find a woman who's like comfortable with public speaking, who wants the spotlight to be on her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like the uncomfortable like piece of that, I think, is that like that is just to me a non-starter, right? Like you cannot, you know, have more women having more power and influence if they don't want to get on a microphone. And mm-hmm. I and I literally like that's the thing that the part of it that's uncomfortable is it's like, you know, kind of blaming women, right, for not doing those things. But in my mind, that's not even really like 
yeah, like this, this, that's just how those things work, right? I mean, obviously we can't like pretend like they're, that the, we live in a system that didn't, was it like that wasn't created by these crazy gender dynamics, right? But like, I can't even envision an alternative system that prioritized kind of like more effeminate character traits, right? Of like disseminating messages. And like, I feel like no matter what world you live in, even the genderless world, you would need people to be good at public speaking. You need people to be able to like be figureheads. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I feel like this is the underlying question for a lot of this talk, which is then it get, we get back to when, you know, where do we, where do we invest our resources for change into? Like, do we invest the resources for change into like grooming, you know, like more women in the workplace now to take positions of leadership, which by the way, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how much I like, believe the idea that like this is because all like less women want to be in the spotlight or want to take the microphone and i'm just like i'm not sure like um the merit but like i'm saying if that is real if we're like assuming that is real then do we want to uplift more like currently more people that need to be uplifted in the workplace or do we want to like focus the resources of change into like changing the, the climate in which our our you know our girls grow up in mm -hmm. i mean i think it's you know obviously the answer is going to be like oh it's both you need to get men to step back you need women to step up right but the thing that's really awkward to me about it is like you know even if we we, we okay baseline we we know we don't live in a meritocracy right but you know when i think about like grit and you know like all of these 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 people writing about how to have success right so much of it does involve these things like deliberate practice right where if you look around right and look at the various skills that your friends have right that i mean this is a controversial thing to say but like i truly see more of my guy friends doing that kind of thing than i see my female friends doing that like intentionally practicing something yeah and like honing this particular skill to try to set themselves up for success you know mm, interesting and do that do you think that maybe like the skills that are being honed are softer skills and like maybe harder to be seen yeah see that's the thing is like obviously in these books right like the examples that they give are things like being a musician or chess playing or things that are super like measurable tangible right yeah. where you can just it's very clear, okay, if I'm running, this is how you get better at running. It's all about the time, right? Whereas being a good mother is not measurable in that way, right? All these things that are associated with femininity are not as measurable in those same ways, right? Yeah, I think, I'm thinking of like, for example, my partner who was like in school to be a librarian um, is like, I think that she has a very, very real skill for disseminating information, right? She's an, she's an information professional. That's what librarians, like, are. Um, and their whole job is to, like, encourage the dissemination of reliable information about, about whatever, you know? For her, it's, like, about... It's mostly about current events and things like that. Um, but to be... I think to be good at disseminating information, 
it, it, it takes a lot of those like softer skills of like knowing how to frame things like knowing how to like insert yourselves in conversations and in, in a conversation that like needs like you know needs sources or facts or whatever and like knowing how yeah like and to me like a lot of these are like communication skills which i waste which i like perceive to be or which i which i think the you know professional world perceives to be softer um but i still think that she i still feel like i can see her putting in a lot of work to get good at that and that might be less visible right than like me putting in a lot of work to get better at playing guitar which i'm not doing but you know right (laughs) um but i mean i think this yeah, the question has always been, like, how do you create cultural shift, you know, in a way that, in a way that is effective, and I was going to say fair, but then I realized that, like, I feel like cultural shift is often not fair to some group of people, mm-hmm. you know, regardless, like, in, you know, regardless of whether the unfairness is justified or yeah. not, um, but... And this is like this is all like, this is also interconnected with like affirmative action and shit like that, right? Like, Absolutely, yeah. It's like it's like when you have any of these problems with a system, right? Where these people are getting fucked by the system, right? You can change the people or you can change the system, right? You can change the people to try to be like Hillary Clinton's where everyone in politics is like, Oh, you have to be a man, so she's just trying to be a man, basically, right? Yeah. Or you can try to obviously this is like a million times harder. Right. You can change you can try to change the system to value more effeminate traits so that women have a higher likelihood of one day being president. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Or like and I think the middle ground is that like. Is that like you like, you know, you start like giving kids like literally the same opportunities and trying not to push them in either way and then seeing what happens. You know, but they like, still live in a society, right? I feel like even when people t- do try to do that, like, and try to raise, there's so many people who try to raise their kid, like, genderless, or try to raise their kid, but, like, you still live in this broader superstructure that's influencing these kids, Yeah, right? for sure. I think that in, or in order for that to work, you know, it's like, you still, it'll still take some, you're right, some, some like, some baseline amount of cultural or, like, societal shift to make yeah. that, to make that even possible. But it's, it's almost like what B was talking about too, right? Where they were like, oh, I have this female boss and uh, the boss was like, look, if you want to succeed, you got to assimilate basically, right? And yeah. B's point was, no, you have power. You make the system more amenable to me. Yeah. Right? And that like, boss, who's like, doing the work of like bringing it closer together? Yeah. And that boss at the time like legitimately thought that they were giving B good advice and totally i totally understand why you would be like okay look there's a disconnect here and if you yourself for your own self-interest want to bridge the gap you got to do this work right as opposed to like doing the obviously much more difficult monumental shift of bringing the institution closer to you right yeah i feel like this is also related to like the W.E.B. Du Bois Bois versus like Booker T. Washington debate do you know about that debate no what is it it was like in I'm gonna get the time I'm gonna get the time period wrong, so I'm not even gonna try, but it was like they were they were both scholars focused on how to get more like black people participating in the economy and like getting more you know, black people employed or like getting more black people educated or whatever. And the idea 
the WB Du Bois was very much like, no, like this system needs to change to accommodate like more black people being able to go to school and get and and be thing and like get positions like doctors or like be things like lawyers or whatever, you know. And and Booker T. Washington, his side of the debate was that the system like less systemic change and and more like we need like black people need to um need to be given the opportunity to get whatever job, factory jobs, blue collar jobs, whatever it whatever it is. We just need more black people participating in the economy. And and this was you know, this is like a real struggle um between these two. And I think history has shown that like it's you know, you you need both. Like you you need like these people need to be able to participate in the economy in ways that aren't that don't have high barriers to entry, like being a doctor. Um, but also recognizing that these positions with high barriers to entry often are the ones that can really, really set forward some real societal shift. So these so they need they also need to be made more accessible. And then you know, I, but I, it's it's also it's all very chicken and the egg. Like I'm not, I'm not sure what comes first. Is it like making economic participation more viable, or is it you know uh, opening up the pipeline? <clears throat> it's probably both. <laughs> I'm so interested in, in at least from like obviously there's a bunch of different dimensions. I think from the gender standpoint, it's going to be really really interesting to see what's going to happen, right? Yeah, I think that like AI and automation is like you're definitely right. It's gonna hit men really hard. Yeah. And yeah, what the fuck is gonna happen to us? You know? Yeah. Like there was a <laughs> there was a Vox article today about how toxic masculinity is literally killing men because I mean literally more men have died of coronavirus because they think it's not manly to wear masks. <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> right yeah the and like by the same token men don't think it's manly to go work as a home health aide so they're like it's like it's like all part of this like larger broader thing right right the patriarchy is a trap dude and like it's such like, a trap it's fucking it's like it's fucking men real hard like a lot more than they realize i remember yeah. this, is, this is a funnier take on this but there was like i was reading this twitter thread about like about this woman that's like she was like does anyone else's husband just not wipe their ass after they poop. Dude, I told you about that. Oh, that was you. You told me about <laughs> yeah. that. Yes. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's a funnier <laughs> take on how the patriarchy is like literally actively harming people. Yeah. Like, but, like, like <laughs> <laughs> these men were so afraid to wipe their ass because that's gay. <laughs> and then you're literally just like, what the fuck? Like, what the what? Like, did they think that like there was toilet paper in there in all of these men's restrooms literally just for the gay people and that everyone is just actually super progressive <laughs> um one of my favorite uh like instagram comedians his name is kev on stage and he makes a lot like whenever one of those tweets that's like there's like there's like this genre of tweet where someone will be like it'll be a dude enjoying his life the, the most recent one was like a dude was like enjoying my birthday dinner and it was he took a picture of like crab legs and like corn or whatever and someone replied and was like seafood is for women but happy birthday 
And he was like, and every time this happens, Kevin on stage is like, so we can't have seafood. We can't have brunch because that's gay. We can't, we can't make noise during sex because that's gay. We can't, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we can't order appetizers because that's gay. That was like another thing. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, masculine is a trap. It is right, like. Imagine a world where, like, there's, you know, like, there's all these things that are, like, branded towards men. So, basically, after, like, that, I don't know if it was caused by the Reddit thread or has any, like, relationship to that Reddit thread about wiping their asses. But they have these things called, like, man wipes that are literally, like, baby (laughs) wipes for men. (laughs) It's funny because all businesses, like, all successful businesses are made to solve a problem. And in this case, this business was made to solve the problem of men think it's too gay to wipe their ass. (laughs) and like there's so many things like that like obviously like branding gendered branding is like baseline like super fucking weird but like they had all there's so many examples of like broger have you heard of broger (laughs) where they're like oh yogurt's for women or like (laughs) for gay people so they're gonna make a manly version of yogurt you know power yogurt (laughs) (laughs) Oh, actually, oh, my God, I have to send this to you right now. The best example, I can't even make this shit up. (laughs) Have you heard of liquid death? Liquid death? Yes. No, what is it? It is, oh, my God, it is canned water for men whose tagline is murder your thirst. Dude, dude, I shit you not. These people made $1.6 million in venture capital. They raised that much money <laughs> for this idea. Murder yes, your thirst. <laughs> Mountain water for Holy men. Shit. You can get a 12-pack of tall boys of canned water. Wow. Liquid death. Yeah. And the skull on the front. Isn't that wild? Well, and there's like a big bearded guy on a hockey team. Yes. And they're made to look like beer cans. Oh my god. Like what the fuck? Hashtag death to plastic. <laughs> <laughs> wow, they're selling they're they're s- selling a vinyl record. It's called Liquid Death's Greatest Hates. And the tagline is, if you love reading Liquid Death's internet internet hate comments, you're going to love hearing them. But, like, is this not the most extreme example of, like, you know, like, marketing towards men that you have ever seen? Oh, absolutely. It's, like, (laughs) it's egregious. Do you think that you... Do you deliberately practice anything? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about whether I do any deliberate practice. And I... I Probably the thing that... I... That comes closest is just, like, editing this podcast every week. You know? But... I mean... Because that takes, like, eight hours sometimes. You know? But... It's... I don't know. it's, It's... Like, it's... Obviously, when you're playing chess or something, it's like, you know, you win or you lose. 
It's super straightforward, right? And even people who like write, I don't know. It's sort of like the only real way to quantify it is like, oh, I write a certain number of hours a day, blah, blah, blah. And then I put it out in the public and I get feedback on it, you know? The one thing that would make this more deliberate practice would be getting actual feedback from people, you know? That's fair. I'm trying to think about if I do anything. I mean, I think similarly, the closest thing for me is probably like doing data analysis. At like, But I, I do it through work and I do it very frequently and I guess I'm always getting better at it. But I guess like the fact that I'm saying I guess means that it's not deliberate. Like the definition of deliberate is that I would know. Right. So no, I don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think probably most people don't, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so... Thanks for listening. So I'm the villain. <laughs> uh, if you, if Dude, you like DeAndre. Me- oh, 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 I need to plug this. DeAndre is starting an at-home food business that you can order from. I am. It's not up yet, but um, I'm, I'll, I will, I'll unveil the brand in like a couple of episodes, I think. Okay, okay. Um, but I am doing that. If you, if you are a DC listener, keep an eye out for it because you will soon be able to to purchase food that I have handmade and put a lot of love into. Um, but otherwise, <laughs> if you're enjoying the pod or if you hate the pod, please let us know. Um, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That is our Twitter. That's our Instagram. That's also our Gmail account. And since we just checked the reviews, <laughs> uh, shoot us a five-star review if you're still here with us. Okay, bye.